Blog Talk Radio. Show, part of the BookSpeak Network. I am your host, Tori Gates, author of the books Live from the Cafe and Moment in the Sun, both available at brownposypress.com. My guest today is author Robert Eggleton, a child psychotherapist and advocate for many years. He is the author of the book Rarity from the Hollow. Lacey Don's life is the rural bottomland that seems to be one with no way out. The father slowly going mad due to the Gulf War, another family member, a mother with problems of her own plus enduring the former's abuse and the girl who must navigate it with the help of a mysterious friend. Uh, Robert Angleton, welcome to the show. Hey, Tori. Thanks for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it, and I especially appreciate your concern for abused kids. That's really my passion, helping those kids. Well, that is something I definitely want to get into, and I this book certainly ties into that. Uh, with Rarity from the Hollow, I came across this somewhere online, and the cover and also some of the description of it from a reader just made me think this is something to look into. And I remember just downloading a bit off Amazon Kindle for free, and I just read down the first part of it and thought, okay, this is something I need to look at. And um, you took us to this place, and uh, it's rather stark and uh, Rather, if, if, if a person has never lived it, they wouldn't understand it, I guess. Oh, I don't know. It's pretty easily relatable, I think, for most people. Uh, it is a different place than most of us grow up. It's not for me because I'm from West Virginia. But it's written mm-hmm. in colloquial Appalachian voice. And... um the beginning is more harsh than you might uh, imagine the rest of the book to be, really, because it um, turns into a lot of comedy and satire and mm-hmm. has been compared to um, all... Uh, it won a gold medal from Awesome Indies, and they compared it, which is really stroked my ego, frankly, I mean, uh, because that's such a prominent book review organization. But um, they compared it to a a hillbilly version of of, um, hillbilly version of and so in any case it's it's been compared to um to other books besides Douglas's book 
on a hitchhiker's yes. guide to the galaxy. But um, that was precisely my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, more than one uh, book reviewer has compared it to that, but it's also been compared to Vonnegut, a high, highly prominent um, science fiction book reviewer. Um, in in his review, said that it was one quarter turn beyond Kurt Vonnegut and some mm-hmm. of the early stuff that other writers in that genre had written. It's not really what I intended, but I sure didn't intend for it to be something depressing, which it definitely is not. It's a fun mm-hmm. book to read, and that's what I wanted. There's just been too many books about such a oh such a topic like child abuse. I mean, it's you know it can be draining, and mm-hmm. working in the field for as long as I have, I've of course been involved in fundraising. And between you and me, the the heartfelt contribution. And those people that really care about those kids. When you have a fundraiser, they want to have fun. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go there and cry their eyes out about such a huge social problem. And so mm-hmm. in fundraising over the years, for I've mostly worked with um, non-profit agencies and uh, I'm a retired psychotherapist, children's psychotherapist, and the people who support these programs, they're just like anybody else. They want to have a good time. And so mm-hmm. that's the type of fundraiser that I would always have for them, whether it's silent auctions or dances or movies or something for fun, and that's the type of book that I wanted to produce, but I didn't want to lose its its trueness. I, mm-hmm. I wanted it to communicate the reality of children's struggles, but I didn't want to bum anybody out, and so right. that was the strategy, and I think it's worked according to, it's received hundreds of reviews. There's some on Amazon, uh, but not nearly all of them. Right. And mo- mostly the reviews have been glowing. And so, you know, I'm proud to have written it. And there's another one coming up. So another book coming up. So mm-hmm. in any case, um, again, thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's begin. I I definitely want to talk a little more about some of the work that you've done. Let's begin with Lacey Dawn, our protagonist. And yes, I think the beginning was a hard hit, but that's how you get a reader. But tell us about this girl. Tell us about Lacey Dawn and and what she's all about. Well, first off, she's a real-life kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I met her, oh, in 2006, I think. Part of my job, uh, I last worked for I've done different things. I've worked for the Supreme Court, and I've inspected juvenile institutions with, oh, my God, talk about some bad places. But in any case, uh, 
I last worked before I retired, I was uh, working for our, lo- our local mental health center, and part of my job was facilitating group therapy exercises. And one day, um, during one of the group sessions, group therapy sessions, there was a little girl with straight brown hair sitting around the table a few feet from me. And it was her first day in the program. She was a victim of, oh gosh, horrible abuse that I'm not going to go into. But mm-hmm. instead of just getting, instead of just disclosing about her abuse, she spoke about her hopes and dreams for finding a loving family to protect her. Mm-hmm. And it was empowering, not only to her, but frankly to everybody who, who met this kid. She was 12 or 13, I can't remember, and she sure didn't look very powerful herself. I mean, a skinny mm-hmm. little girl. But she was powerful. And, and she, she affected, sounded very determined, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she affected me and inspired me uh, to adapt a character with similar attributes. And I named her Lacey Dawn. That's, of course, not her real name. It was recommended by my wife. Uh, the name was. She um, always said, well, her mom can't buy her pretty things. So she must want to give her a pretty name at birth. And that's mm-hmm. where the name came from. And that is the thing about Lacey Dawn that I notice is despite what you know what she's going through, what her parents are battling through, there is this determination that she's going to try to make the situation better, not just for herself but her folks, which was really very interesting. Yeah, that's um, written in the blurb. Her family and friends come first. She doesn't mind saving the universe, but her family and friends come first. And that's so true for so many abused children. A lot of people think of it as a black and white issue, good guy, bad guy. The kids Mm -hmm. must hate their parents, and the parents must hate their kids to have done that to them. But really, Mm -hmm. the kids typically want their parents what they call fixed, healed, Mm -hmm. to change, to become loving moms and loving dads and so uh, that's a theme and rarity from the hollow that's really the primary theme although it does um, say I've talked about depressing stuff again you have to read it to understand the satire and comedy especially the political parody that um this Rarity from the Hollow was the first 
science fiction book, The Rise of Donald Trump Through the Presidency in Political and yet, Power. So the, rather, the rather, yes, the rather strange fellow that just sort of came along there. Um, I wanted to get into a little bit of the one thing that I noticed was with regard to the parents, both Dwayne and Jenny have. Um, you can you can see the the struggle that both of them. It is a dual struggle, like you said, and and you're right. It isn't. There isn't this absolute hatred of of Lacey Dawn, and there isn't this absolute hatred of one another. You see both sides of it. You see Dwayne um, going through post traumatic tr- stress disorder, and you see him sort of refighting the Gulf War, even though he's not there anymore. And I think that's something that'll identify anybody that's been in the military service or has had a loved one. They should be able to get that. They they could see that immediately. Yeah, Dwayne could have come home from Iraq yesterday. I don't know if you realize it, but that war never ended. No, no, it hasn't. We're still, uh, yeah, we're still sending, and our soldiers are dying there. So, I mean, it's it's not like if you think the Iraq War. It's something from last decade. I mean, it's today. And so mm-hmm. the the book kind of transcends some of the... Uh, one reviewer called it timeless. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a way it is. I mean, she made a heck of a lot other compliments about it. But I think one of the things that really got to me in reading that review was the word timeless because God knows I hope it doesn't last forever but it sure has been a long time that we've been sending folks to Iraq and and then getting those sad letters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and it's uh, here comes a man who has survived that and it's like there is that desperate individual living inside him that wants to be the nice guy again, wants to be Dwayne again, and not what he turned oh, yeah. into. And, yeah. Yeah, it's not and, and nightmares and anger outbursts, classic PTSD, I mean, and alcoholism. See, Dwayne, the backstory is Dwayne. I don't know if he read enough to catch this, but he was a star football player in high school. Yes. He was popular. And he joined the Army because of lack of economic opportunities in the hollow in his home community. And so, and that's what he came back with. But he was too, and I don't know why guys are like this, but some guys just don't, they think it's beneath them or something to get help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's for PTSD. They, people will recommend going to the mental health place or whatever, but they kind of are resistive, like they're, too strong or it make it demeans their manhood or something. So there's a lot of guys um, like that. 
And the other thing, too, is now um, I had family that, that was in the Second World War, which kind of shows my age. But one of the most intriguing things, and I think this crosses all of the wars, any of them, um, I, I won't say who they were, but I had a close friend who passed away recently who served in Vietnam, and I interviewed a gentleman for another publication who also was there. And neither one of them, uh, they basically both said the same thing. They said there is nothing to talk about. And I'm not sure if you take that of, like you were saying, that there's, is it a matter of pride to not, or would only a fellow soldier understand what I'm going to tell you or what I would like to tell you? I don't know. My my father came back uh, from World War II. Uh, really a total mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, back then, it was called shell shock, yep. and people didn't understand it nearly as much. Uh, but there is, I would encourage, in one of the hopes, if somebody reads my uh, novel with that similar experience, what I, one of my hopes is that people will be encouraged to to seek help for PTSD mm-hmm. and not be ashamed to do it. Exactly. Uh, Dwayne, and, did in, yeah. Dwayne did in the novel, and although uh, one review, although it was a really glowing review, but one of the criticisms was that it took extraterrestrial help. Well, it's almost for Dwayne to get better, but it's almost like extraterrestrial for help for some of these guys when they think about going to a counselor or a therapist or something. It's not mm-hmm. that different. And so and that bring, uh, some of the some of the treatment, mental health treatment in the book um is actually futuristic technologies that are on the verge of being available in real life. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like I just sort of made up stuff, but it's there's been conferences on some of the techniques and and so you know, hopefully at some point it won't be as it'll be treated more medically instead of with that stigma of a mental health problem that mm-hmm. turns so many people off. Well, let's talk about, about that right now. My guest here on the BookSpeak Network today and the Brown Posey Press Show is author Robert Eggleton. Rarity from the Hollow is the book that we are discussing. And you had uh, just brought up a little bit about um, the extraterrestrials. Um, the character.com that Lacey Dawn goes to see and hangs out with, um, he see, .com seems to be the vehicle for a lot of this. Now, who or what is .com? Um, first off, his name is a recurring pun throughout the novel. And I guess I was a big fan of Piers Anthony. He wrote a, a blurb for the novel, read, it, read my novel, and and wrote a blurb for it. But one of the things that 
I really was impressed with is his ability to use puns in his work. Mm-hmm. And the puns had something to do with something. I mean, it wasn't just total goofball. I mean, it was it. They had meaning, and dot com is stands for spam that you might receive in your inbox on the computer. Uh, spam involving the marketing of that, which is not necessarily most needed. Uh, mm-hmm. Repetitive spam, and that was dot com's job before his role was changed to try and recruit Lacey Don to save the universe. And um, he somehow he and Lacey Don, because of her love and need, started to form a relationship outside of teacher and pupil. Now, he didn't have any private parts and so I don't want to give you any um, (laughs) weird impressions or anything like that. Uh, So there was nothing sexual. There's nothing sexual really except for puns in the book. Now once uh, on that topic of sexuality, once Jenny, the mother, downtrodden victim of domestic violence, and Dwayne, the war-damaged father, once they get better and fall back in love, there is there are sexual puns. Nothing on screen or explicit or anything like that. But in any case, .com starts to aspire towards humanity because of Lacey Dobb. He wants to feel something. Now, there's a question I need to ask before we go further. What what did, when dot-com's cohorts, it's clear that there's additional goals here. Uh, What made them choose Lacey Don specifically? He had been, um, um, Lacey Don, if you look at the backstory, and it's, clear in the book, but some people read so fast they miss important stuff, but she was a product of genetic manipulation for a long time. Uh, A threat to the universe had been emerging for a century, and she was kind of the final attempt to do something to save the universe. Actually, it turns out the universe was a capitalistic economic system and that had a kind of a, it was compared to U.S., the complications of U.S. tax laws and that's part of the political parity in there. But it was an extreme capitalistic system on a gi- located on a planet that was essentially a giant shopping mall to which everybody in the universe wanted to go. And 
that mall was threatened by another force, and Lacey Dawn uh, just happened to be some uh, one of the um, attempts to find a solution, somebody that could resolve that problem, resolve the figure out what the heck to do about the threat. Mm-hmm. And so she, although she, her body is starts out as an 11-year-old when uh, the story ends, she's 14, she's really uh, thousands of years old genetically, plus she's been trained by .com via a port in her the back of in her spine, uh, just underneath her hairline, and advanced oh history, uh, mathematics, all the physics, um, universal languages. First chapter it starts out that she it was she and her best friend Faith, which is which is a metaphor for faith is not dead, um, start out the story studying in a cardboard box that was turned into a clubhouse. It was one that her grandmother's refrigerator had occupied a few hours before, new refrigerator, her grandmother's new refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And they're studying, and one of the lines is she already knew all the words in the textbook and most others in any human language. That was Lacey Dawn because she'd been trained. At the end of it, all the chapters are short. It's a fairly quick read, but I caution people against reading it too fast because you're going to miss stuff. But Mm -hmm. at the end of that short chapter, she points to the sky and Faith says, Jesus is everybody's friend. And... Uh, she tells, Lacey Dawn tells Faith that she has another best friend. They're the only two girls in that hollow with about the same age, and so they're, they're best friends and play together and stuff. And so Lacey Dawn says, I've got another best friend, and points to the sky, and Faith says, Jesus is everybody's friend. And uh, Lacey Dawn gets mad and says, it ain't Jesus. Maybe <laughs> you are. And then she calls her a name. <clears throat> um, some, I, don't, I don't think I used the term retard, but um, maybe you are special. Or I can't remember exactly what I said. I remember, yes, I remember the exchange, and it seemed more, it just seemed more like a couple of kids having a slanging match, but you knew that it wasn't meant in a mean way because these are two friends and it's just yeah, something they're the, saying. Yeah, and the thing too is murdered. that, yeah. And there's the, and so it's like, it, it is interesting though, because it's like the loss, the loss of so many things that Lacey Dawn seems to on the surface lose, but within her, she has all of this knowledge that has been programmed into her throughout all of these um, decades, centuries, whatever you would like to call it. My question would be, and I, and I thought about this as I was reading, it's like, when did Lacey Dawn become aware of this, or did she know at the beginning? Did they tell her? 
Um, she was probably six. She was six. And her father was looking for to switch her. You know what switch is? Oh, yeah. Okay. And she has scars on her, um, the bottoms of her legs from having been switched. And that's tied into uh, fundamentalist Christianity that deals with um, um, uh, spoil the child. Kinda, yeah, spare the rod, spoil the child kind spare of Spare the rod, spoil, yeah, ties into that, which is something that is the way that Dwayne was raised. And so she's uh, crawls underneath <coughs> parents' bed to hide from her father. And underneath the bed, there's a trunk and a broken radio that hadn't played in years tells her to hide inside the trunk. The trunk used to have uh, Dwayne's Playboy magazine collection from high school when he worked at the service station before he had gone into the Army. And she had, she did, and she wasn't caught. But then she realized that there's no way that radio could be talking to me. And that's when she realized that there's something else going on. And that's how uh, Lacey Don and Dot Com first met. And they communicated through the radio until he told her about the spaceship up behind her house, up the path, hidden in a cave. And she went up there, and that's what, from there, the uh, tutorial sessions kind of took off. And, uh, and so she went up to study every chance she had and ended up carrying a lot, uh, a lot about him even though he wasn't like a regular boy and didn't have any private parts. And so that's how the relationship began. Um, one thing that's um, a couple reviewers have reacted to is that she develops almost, it's not really romantic, but almost a romantic interest awfully young in life but if you look at the research if you're going to be honest as an adult as a parent children fall their first time falling in love is very very young now it could be a teacher uh, you know um, uh, even a family man it could be anybody but it's you know, it just happens. And that's and the thing. So, Those feelings are the same. Those feelings are the same. They may be heightened in a person a little less mature, but they feel it nonetheless. Yeah, really. And I got that feeling as she talked about .com that, that and of course, as you said, we know what, what .com kind of looks like and 
I never, I never got the feeling of sexuality there, but I did get the deeper feeling um, beyond that emotion of that, that she really did love.com and that there was this feeling of this is very sincere. This is not just something she's saying. And uh, those, and I mean, I, we both were much younger in our lives. And uh, when a young person says something like that, and I've written about that myself, that the first love is a very real feeling. And it may be immature or maybe a bit wild, or it could be bloody sincere. But it is felt nonetheless. I remember myself, and I, I think other people would, would, would relate to that. Well, the reason I mention it is some book reviewers have kind of it's kind of raised an eyebrow, I guess, mm-hmm. for them that that she was so young and there. But kids fall in love, yeah, mm-hmm. um, very young. Um, now it's important, I think, to point out for your audience that. When the story ends, Lacey Dawn is 14 years old, and she's never even experienced her first real kiss. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to give anybody the idea that there's anything weird like that in the book. That would be awful for um, uh, an empowered victim of child abuse. And, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, um, so, but, uh, and she also, in the book, and it's pretty traditional. Um, she commits to not having sex for the first time until after she's married. She also commits to not smoking pot until she's graduated from college, which is a little bit different than kids these days, it seems to me. And so... yeah. Well, back then, it's like when I was when I was growing up. These were the kind of things that you didn't have to take an oath. My, my, I mean, I, my family was not particularly religious, but it was kind of like you don't need religion to say that. It's like these are kind of things you probably shouldn't do. But then again, you know, I grew up in a rural place in New England, so it was kind of like there was so much I did not learn. There was no sex education. There was none of that. I did have, without getting too personal, in my family someone who certain behavior basically said to me, okay, this is not a good idea, but you didn't have it. It it wasn't necessary in those days to put it in your face, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, I want to actually, Robert, move on to another part of this. We talked about this a little bit earlier, and this lays so much of the groundwork for your writing. Your early life, you talk about uh, growing up in a sort of an, uh, an atmosphere that you wanted to do good in your life, and you moved into that. Tell us about your upbringing and what uh, moved you into the direction of working with children in this area. Well, I think um, probably want to attribute it mostly to my mother and her extraordinary empathy for others that were in even worse circumstances than us. Um, My father, as I mentioned, came back from the war damaged. Mm -hmm. He couldn't hold down a job, and he became alcoholic. And when he was was drunk, he was similar to Dwayne, 
in the novel, uh, he would become verbally abusive. And now mm-hmm. he also pushed her and threw me aside a few times, but he wouldn't haul off and slug anybody or anything like that. But nevertheless, it was uh, some when he was drunk. It was not a comfortable place to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to Jenny in the novel, my mother's teeth rotted out. Nevertheless, she would sometimes go to. She held down a job here and there, and would go to work sometimes with toothaches. She was a waitress a couple different places. Um, We barely got by, to be frank. I started working, oh gosh, I was probably five years old when I started working for money. And I was cutting grass with a sickle that I'd been given. And I I earned it from cutting somebody's grass with it and and, uh, a couple times, and they they ended up giving it to me as payment. Um, Mm -hmm. My first, uh, I worked at a grocery store cleaning up, uh, especially a back alley, behind the store and I was paid in dented and unlabeled canned goods and crushed boxes that I would push home uh, so we could eat. Now, this is before food stamps came out. There was no food stamps. My first tax-paying job, I was 12, and uh, it was at Cohen's, which is bought out, which was bought out by Rite Aid, but I worked there in the evenings and on uh, Saturday. Nothing was open back then on Sunday because of blue laws, and so mm-hmm. I'd have worked in. And so I worked a lot growing up and supported my family and kept us together um, because of the money that I earned and that is kind of boring, <laughs> but uh, that was kind of the way it happened growing up. Now, how about your, if I mean, I don't mean to interrupt, but how about your reading background? What got you as a young man? You've mentioned, you know, some well, folks early at, on, uh, some well-known names. When I worked at Cohen's, um, the drugstore, mm-hmm. drugstores used to be the place to buy paper racks. Yes, they were. I remember. Uh, mm-hmm. And the manager of the drugstore, his name was Frank. I can't remember his last name now. But um, he and I became buddies, or I wouldn't have gotten that job. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he would let me take home paperbacks off the shelf if I brought them back in the same as new condition. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm sure it's still a practice, um, but paperbacks were sold. They had their covers torn off and were trashed anyway, and the store got credit for anything unsold. So he wasn't mm-hmm. particularly 
concerned about it, and so I would take home novels from the 50s and 60s. Well, it was from the 50s then, but I would take home, and that's really how I started um, getting into reading because I got I got them for free, and um, by 12, I was starting to get an interest in girls. I'm heterosexual, although that's irrelevant. But um, and some uh, some of them had, um, especially science fiction books, had half naked women on the front cover, and so that also attracted me. At, 12 and 13, and so anyway, that's now in high school, I, uh, I worked at a motel, uh, and I would work, I worked the 11 to 7 shift, and so I'd work uh, until 7 in the morning, then go straight from work to school, and then repeat the same thing. The next day, I think I was working seven days a week then. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I made enough to buy my mom dentures, and and uh, I bought her first car. We didn't have a car or a telephone growing up, and so in any case, I did okay financially. I just didn't have any time to spend it because I was working all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, in terms of some of the, uh, you were talking about the science fiction early on. There's a very interesting name that was brought up um, in uh, while I was doing research for this interview. Uh, Ursula Le Guin is an author that I have not read myself, but she was attached to a term called social science fiction. When did you come across her? And it seems like she really may have had a hand as like as a forerunner for you in a way. Um, yeah, I love her work. Um... The I used to when I first wrote when I wrote the first blurb for Rarity from the Hollow, um, I used the phrase that it uh, that it was uh, a literary science fiction. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, nobody seemed to know what that meant literary science fiction. It just didn't work. And so I started mm-hmm. uh I started calling it social science fiction. Mm-hmm. Because it's not hard science even though there is the of uh, the element of prediction that speculative fiction authors especially like mm-hmm. and not only Donald Trump rise to power, but also in the medical stuff that's in the novel, nobody really gets the medical stuff. They, mm-hmm. it's even though it's real, they it seems I don't think anybody's even commented on it as far as a reviewer goes, and they probably think it was just I just pulled it out of my head or something. But in any case, um, started calling it social science fiction, the way that Ursula Le Guin coined. And mm-hmm. but she's a great woman, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Well, she certainly had a hand in in some of this, based on what I have I have been able to sort of glean out of all of it. Um, also, uh, taking a look at Lacey Dawn's uh, movement forward, uh, my understanding, as you said at the beginning, um, now she made her first appearance in Rarity in 2012, but this book is in its third edition, as I understand it, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Now she had some short. Uh, there were some shorter tales uh, as well. Tell us about uh, these further adventures. Um, well, I, I'm working on. I've been worked on. Um, and actually, it's ready uh, for publication. Really, or very close to it. The next Lacey Dawn adventure is uh, titled Ivy. And it's an almost abandoned small town where a lot of vets um, ended up settling. But it's also the site for an alien invasion of Earth via the use of an addictive drug. It relates to the social science fiction part relates to substance abuse. Mm-hmm. And Dwayne gets tied up in it. Uh, this is after they come back from the planet in Rarity from the Hollow. His name Shop to You Drop, but it's abbreviated. Mm-hmm. And um, it's after they come back. And um, basically asked the question, how far would it go to save a parent from addiction? And so addiction mm-hmm. is really the prominent theme of that, of the story. Uh, the first edition of Rarity had a problem. Um, there, I use third-person omnipresent uh, narration a lot mm-hmm. and I really like it because the inner thoughts of people not just the main character um, can be shared with the reader <clears throat> but um, if you aren't careful it can lead and especially if the reader reads too fast it can lead to head hopping and uh, and kind of losing uh, what's you know losing what's going on in the story, and the first the 2012 edition, and the publisher took 100% blame and even posted on uh, on Amazon that it was his fault. Didn't format it correctly, and the mm-hmm. internal dialogue was not put in italics even. So I'd like so it took forever to get the next edition out, and then the publisher unfortunately said, "We're not making enough money off this. Why don't you self-publish it?" Now he's a wonderful guy, and I don't want to. It's Doghorn Doghorn Publishing, which is a mm-hmm. traditional small press in Leeds, England, and I've never put a penny into this um, not for the cover not for the uh, editing not for anything and um, 
So, but he decided that, well, there's some other issues. He's got a medical problem, too, and so it's not, it's definitely not his, I mean, he's a wonderful guy, so I don't want to say anything to imply that he's not. But, so the last edition, I made it, I I reformatted it myself, which was unbelievable. I had no idea what to do. Well, Uh, and I've been through that, let me tell you. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I had no idea. I just about ready to give up on uh, the whole project, but I ended up figuring it out, uh, read enough directions, and uh, figured it out. And so, in any case, it the um, paperback is not fully distributed yet. I went with Lulu, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a problem with it on Amazon anyway. But uh, with that, with Lulu getting it onto Amazon, they said they're going to work on it. But in any case, uh, the uh, ebook, the two, 2018 edition is out available in all formats, which is a big improvement too, rather than just on Kindle. But um and hopefully the paperback will be coming out real soon for it. But um it is formatted a little bit differently so that the internal dialogue is even um more clear who's thinking what. I don't want to switch from that because it works so well. And so Abby doesn't have as much of that in it. It has some, but not as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in any case, the 2012 edition, really, it didn't work because the italics were left off. And so, I mean, it's it's a great book, but you had to know what was going on to, and it got great reviews, uh, too, but for some readers, it just was, just didn't connect. Well, so, with the new editions, it looks like it will, and it would also seem that this that, that the new uh, the new adventures of Lacey Don Ivy is going to go as well. Um, as we're running out of time, Robert, I would like to just ask one last thing: um, with some of these stories that you have told now, and also the way that you have described what you went through in terms of working it, what advice do you give for someone who wishes to write, no matter the genre? No matter how it be presented, what what would you just say to someone who wants to to pursue a project? Over the years, now I have a long history of writing nonfiction, and a lot of the stuff I've written is archived uh, in our state division of culture and history, and so I've got a, a actually a lengthy background in writing and but I and I wrote uh, fiction when I was a, a boy stories mm-hmm. I would recommend to someone starting out to keep your determination mm-hmm. I have met online 
not personally, uh, so many people, including people who started uh, websites or and I, you maintain your radio show, who have just kind of faded into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And you never know why or where they went. They just, the same as don't exist anymore. They were people who appeared to be enthusiastic and working hard, and then they just sort of faded away. And I would recommend that you don't exhaust yourself um, as you're you're trying to... to, This is a tough business, Mm -hmm. and there's so much competition. Stay steady is what my recommendation is, and hang in. Do something every day to advance your project, but don't get so bummed out that you end or invest every. Don't sell the family farm for God's sakes on some kind of wild marketing scheme. Mm-hmm. That's going to backfire for sure. Just take it easy and only invest what you can. Like I say, I've never spent a penny. I can't afford it. Heck, I'm on Social Security. I'm barely getting by the way it is. And so um, now before, when I was working, I could have spent some money, but uh, I didn't. And now I can't anyway, so I guess it's an easier decision for me than for some to get these emails about this or that. Uh, Guarantee I've never even bought a Facebook ad or um, now I post on Facebook books but just stay calm and steady is what I'd recommend to somebody starting out alright well Robert Eggleton thank you so much for your time and uh, I am certain that our listeners will look out for Rarity from the Hollow and also Lacey Dawn's upcoming adventures again thank you so much thank you You've been listening to the Brown and Posey Press Show. I'm Tori Gates, your host. Look for my works live from the cafe and a moment in the sun on brownposeypress.com along with the works of many other great authors. This is the Book Speak Network.